Good evening. Uh, good to see a few people here and uh, maybe a few people online. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Judges. We'll be in Judges chapter 7. I think we're just up 20, looks like 25 verses tonight. And we looked at several, a whole lot more than that last week. So we were in a great passage. I think you're going to be, uh, as we read this, you'll be very familiar with the story we're going to look at. We've got Je uh, Gideon and his army of 300. I think everybody's heard this story before. It's a very familiar story. Uh, you know who Gideon is, maybe even from last week, or even from Sunday school or Bible school. Everybody has spoken, taught about, learned about Gideon at some point in their life. But the question that we're going to ask tonight is, what does the story of Gideon 
teach us? What does it teach us about God? Because as we read this, and we'll go through all 25 verses of this tonight, we're going to find that there's a lot that we can learn here. There's a lot of, of theology here. When I say theology, I mean the study of God. It teaches us about God in this passage. It's not about Gideon. It's all about God. God is everywhere in chapter 7. His hands are all over this. It said repeatedly, God said, God said, God said. His words are all, are, are all over this chapter. So we're going to learn something about God. And I think as I studied it and, and I, I tried to, to understand what it's teaching us, I think it's telling us how God works and who God uses. And I found that it, the, the, the lesson for us tonight is God uses weak people. That's his favorite kind of people to use is those who are, are the weakest. When we are the weakest, God is at his strongest. So what I, the title of the sermon tonight is, Only the Weak Survive. Not the strong, but the weak survive. And I said this morning in church, this is a sermon for the weak. So if you're watching here tonight, or if you're here tonight, and you don't think you're weak, you think you're strong, and, and that you're capable, and that you're in control, this sermon isn't for you. You can go ahead and turn it off. Uh, don't, don't listen to it. But if you know and understand just how weak you are, and how weak we are, then this is exactly what you need to hear. It is a word for those who are weak. So let's read this together. I'm going to start with the first eight verses. I'm going to read all 25 to you right now. But I want to show you only the weak survive. And I'm going to play on that title, only the weak survive, because the world says only the strong survive. The world looks for strong and mighty and powerful and big. And God says, no, 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 I'm looking for the small and the weak. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. Let me read these first eight verses to you. As we look at only the weak survive. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then Jeroboam, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early, and they pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites, that's their enemy, the Midianites, were on the north side of him by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many. You see that? They're too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return to the part early from Mount Gilead. There return to the people twenty and two thousand, and there remain ten thousand. Twenty-two thousand soldiers marched off. Verse 4. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will try them. For thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people under the, under the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that laugheth of the water with his tongue, as a dog laugheth, him shall sit by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that laughed, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that laughed will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand. And let all the other people go, every man to his own place. So the people took victuals in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man unto his tent, and retained those three hundred men, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. So now they're set and ready for war. God has dwindled his army down from 32,000 to 300. God said, no, 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 we're not going to fight with 32,000. We're not going to have a strong army. We want a weak army, and that's who God needs. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll look at only the weak survive. Father, we thank you that you don't work the way the world works. 
Your ways are not our ways. Your ways are so far above and beyond our ways. And God, tonight we get to look at how you work and who you use. And it's not who we would expect. And so God, help us to see our weakness. How small and fragile we really are. So that in our weakness, like Paul said, then you can be strong. And God, I do believe that in our world we're living in now, that that's what you're doing. You're helping us to see just how weak we are, how small we are, how deficient we are, how dependent we are upon you. We have vaunted ourselves up as a nation for so long, thinking we are so great. But we're seeing now just how small we are. And may our smallness, may our weakness, drive us to the greatness of our God. Teach us that tonight, God, that only the weak will survive. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The world works uh, in an upside-down way compared to the way that our God works. The world tells us, and this is a, a phrase that has gone on for a century or longer, that only the strong survive. It's the survival of the fittest. The, the ones who are the, the biggest, the fastest, and the strongest, they'll be the ones that take over the world. They rule the world. And that, that's what the world tells us all the time. They tell us that it's bigger, that it's better, it's stronger, it's more, it's more money, it's more followers. It, it's the powerful. It's those who are, have the most money. Now, those are the ones that we look to for leadership. Those are the ones that are applauded, that we, that we look to and say, those are the greatest people in our society. The bigger, the stronger, the mighty. That, that's who we look up to. Weakness is looked at as a defect. Nobody wants to be considered, and I'm going to say this about my boys and and that they all want to be big and strong and mighty and athletic. And, and no, nobody wants to be, I wrote down some words here, nobody wants to be weak. Nobody wants to be small. Nobody wants to be inadequate or deficient or feeble or frail. Nobody wants to be the runt of the litter. They all want to be the top dog. That's the world that we live in. The weakness is looked down upon and strength is a quality that we all want. And the church has fallen for this. I think every one of us know this. In the church today, in our culture, it's all about the size of the church, the stature of the church, and the success of the church. It's about the nickels, which is the money, and the noses, which is the people. It's about church growth plans. And everywhere I go, I'm always asked, how many are you running? What's your budget? How big is your building? How many viewers do you have? How many followers do you have on Facebook? How many subscribers do you have on YouTube? We live in a super-sized world and a mega-church world. The bigger, the better. That's our mindset. The strong are the ones that survive. That's who we applaud. And we, we look down upon weakness. But that's not God's ways. That's the world's ways. That's how the, the world works. They, they lift up and they, they applaud those who are the strongest and the richest and the mightiest. And the world looks down on anybody that is weak and feeble and poor. But God is the exact opposite. He, he takes that and turns it around and says, that's not how I work. God works in, in ways that we don't understand. Isaiah 55 says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. The, the Lord. So God, the world's ways are not God's ways. God's way, get this, I think this is incredible, is a weak way. God's way is a small way. God loves to do things and to use people that, that we would consider foolish. And I can give you some examples here. That he used one family to build an ark in the middle of a desert. He used one nation to escape not around the Red Sea, but through the Red Sea. He used one little boy 
to defeat a giant. They had a whole army there, people with swords and, and, and armor all around them, and they couldn't do it. God said, I'm sending out a little boy with a sling and a few stones, and he'll bring down the giant. God used a, a small little lunch to feed thousands of people like we talked about this morning. God used a carpenter from Nazareth to be the savior of the world. And why does he do that? Why does God repeatedly use the small and the weak to accomplish his work? And here's the reason. This is a, the whole point of this passage today. So that God can be the hero and God can get all the glory. So that no man can say that they did it's all about God. He brings us to our lowest of points and says, I'll use the little boys instead of the strong man. So at the end of the day, they'll say, it had to be God. And that's what he's doing in our world today, too. He's using the weak so that he might be exalted. That's why he gave Paul a thorn in the flesh so that Paul couldn't be vaunted and prideful and think, wow, I'm so great. Paul could have been there. I mean, he wrote most of the New Testament. Powerful preacher, evangelist, missionary, unbelievable man. Because I don't want to be born in the flesh so that he doesn't think himself higher than what he is. And Paul said, When I'm weak, that's when God has got his strongest. So that we wouldn't say Paul was great, we say Paul's God was great. And that's exactly what he's doing here in this story. God is saving his people, Israel, again. This time, against, understanding this, probably the most massive and cruel army that they had ever faced. A Midianite army full of invaders and destroyers. And it said that they, the size of this army were like the sand of the sea. And they were riding on camels that were like grass, the, the amount of grasshoppers. So they, what they're saying is, we can't count how many men are in this army. We can't count how many camels that they have. These big, massive camels that come in and just, just destroy everything in its path. These were war camels, if you can imagine that. This is an army that was out to destroy Israel. And God doesn't choose the mighty, the powerful, the strong, the biggest army in the world to defeat them. God doesn't pick the most likely to succeed. That's not, a, not something that any high school kid wants. They don't want to be the least likely to succeed. They want to be the most likely to succeed. God doesn't choose the most likely to succeed. The strongest and the best and the fastest and the, the best at using a sword or a shield. God chooses Gideon. And Gideon says, if you want to look there in Judges 6.15, who Gideon is, I call him tiny little Gideon. He's a, he's a tiny little man. He's like Zacchaeus. He says in verse 15 of chapter 6, and, he, and Gideon said unto him, Oh my Lord, wherewithal shall I, how can I save Israel? There's no way you can use me. Look what he says. My family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. What he's saying there is, our family is the least in Israel, and I'm the least in our family. We're the least family in this area. Not only is it the least family, but in that family, I'm the run. I'm the little bitty guy. Choose one of my brothers. They're too big or stronger than I am. Even they would have a better opportunity than me. So God chose the poorest family and the tiniest kid in that family, Gideon, to fight against this mighty, powerful, destructive army. He chooses little Gideon be the leader of, of his people. This is God's choice because God, again, his favorite kind of people to use are the weak, the tiny, the small, the deficient, the feeble, the faint, those who can't do it on their own so that he can get the most glory out of it. And that's what we're going to look at here 
He uses a weak, small, inadequate, deficient, feeble, infant, frail, little boy, and a small little army. And we're going to learn tonight that only the weak is going to survive this battle. Only the weak. So God gives us a word for the weak, and I think it's a word that we need. Because I look around the world today, and I say, I would love to see things change. I would love, I mean, I think we all, everybody in here, with you online, watching now, watching later, you think, God, we need to do something. I watch it all the time. We need to do something. Something needs to happen. Something needs to change in our country. It's going, getting worse and worse and worse. Somebody needs to step in and do something. But what can poor, little, old, weak, frail, impotent little Josh do? What can poor, little, big stone at church do? What can we possibly do to make any kind of difference that put a dent in what's going on in America? And God looks down at little weak me, little weak us, and so that's exactly the attitude, the exactly the people that I would use to change the world. So let's look at this tonight. Maybe we will, in this huge nation with a small church, God says, I'm going to use them to make a difference. Because only the weak will survive. And again, I say this is a word for the weak, not for the strong. So let's look at it. I'm going to show you three points as I work my way through these 25 verses. I'm going to show you first the smallness that God wants. He, in these first eight verses, he shows us a word of smallness. God doesn't have, he takes us from very big down to very small. He wants a small army. He doesn't want a big army. It, it, I'll get to it, but it's like he's choosing teams. I mean, if it's me and I'm choosing teams, and, I've got to, and God can choose anybody he wants to, to, to use to fight this battle. He can look over here and that, that guy's strong and that guy's fast and that guy can ride a horse and that guy can ride a camel and that guy can shoot a bow and that guy can use a sword and all these strong people. That's who I would choose. But God looks around and says, you know what? I want to get rid, get, get rid of those guys. I want the small guys. I want the smallest guys I can find. And that's what he's going to do here. Let's bring it down as small as I can get it. What's what he says? Starting off with verse 1. It says, Then Jeroboam, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod. So that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of the hill of Morah in the valley. So you had to be near two sides, getting ready to fight each other. You have the, the, the Midianites on one side, and they're over in the north, and you have Gideon's army by the well. So they're going against each other. So let's do the math. You have the two armies that are getting ready to fight against each other. God's people, we'll call it God's people and Gideon. And over here on the other side, the enemy, the Midianites. At that point, at verse 1, Gideon has, or God has, 32,000 troops. That's a pretty good-sized army. That's a big army for that time and for our time. If you had said there's an army of 32,000 people coming to town, you said, that's huge. But on the other side, the Midianites had 135,000 troops with camels. That's a humongous army. So it's now right around here, verse 1, you're at 32,000 God's people versus 135,000 the Midianites. Those odds are not good. Uh, I think I've I, I heard the odds. I'm not very good at math. But God's people are right now outnumbered 5 to 1. The odds are not in their favor. It looks real bad, but okay, we can fight it. Maybe we can win. So God says, watch this. Now again, 5 to 1. 32,000 versus 135,000. And God says in verse 2, And the Lord said unto Gideon, We have too many here. 32,000 versus 135,000. And he says, We have too many? Too many? How is that possible? I'm sure Gideon's in there saying, Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. It's going to be hard for us to win this way. And that's too many? And God says, No, I have no pride exists. 
And I know if we went in with 32,000 and, and God's in control of this, he could be doing one. God says, I know 32,000 go in, but there'll be a little piece of you that thinks you did it. There'll be a little bit that says, it was me. There'll be a little bit of Gideon who says, wow, I'm such a great general in this army. There'll be some men that say, wow, look what we did. So God wants to take that away so that everybody looks and says, no, God did this. God is the hero of this story. So God says, no, I can't let any pride exist. That's exactly what needs to go on in our churches today so that what happens here is never about a man. It's never about a choir. It's never about a singer. It's never about anybody. It's always about our weakness so that the world looks at our churches as only God can do that. That's where God wants us in our lives, in our churches. Only God can do that. So God removes troops. Look what he does. He says, too many. I don't want anybody vaunting themselves up. Verse 3. So now, now Gideon, go therefore and proclaim in the ears of the people. Say this. Whoever is fearful and afraid, you can go home. <laughs> so he stands up and says, basically, if anybody's cowards, all the cowards out there, all the chickens, blah, 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 <laughs> you guys can go home. If you're a little bit scared, if, you're, if there's anybody in the army that's going to say, I don't think we can do this, you need to go home. And you, you need that. God knows what he's doing. You don't want anybody in your army that's going to be a doubter. You have that in churches where you try to do things and there's always somebody in your ear saying, I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can do that. And God says, let's dwindle them out. Let's send the cowards home. Let's send the chickens home. Let's, uh, let's let them go. And Gideon's probably sitting there thinking, okay, I'm sure there'll be a handful at least. So he's standing up in front of his army, 32,000 uh, of his troops standing there, and he says, all right, if anybody's scared, if anybody is, 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 is a coward, you guys can go home. And he watches as 22,000 men walk away. Maybe Gideon, when he saw 22,000 walk away, he tried to get in the crowd with them, walk away too. Two-thirds of his army leaves. Two-thirds are fearful. Two-thirds are not fully committed. Two-thirds didn't want to stay and fight. Two-thirds walk away from the battle. Two-thirds turn their back on Gideon. Two-thirds turn their back on God and walk away cowardly in the midst of the battle. I can apply this because right now in the midst of our culture and the country, the pandemic hit and the statistics say that two-thirds of the church has walked away and never come back again. That the church in America has got real small, real fast. And they're proving themselves who are the real and who are the fake. That they were Christians up to a point. And when it got hard and the battle got rough, when people started getting sick, when there was chaos in the nation, when it got hard to be a Christian, two-thirds just up and quit. Walk away, never to come back again. But understand, and we need to understand this, because a lot of churches have got a lot smaller like that. This is the truth. We sit here tonight with a handful of people. There's probably a handful of people online with a much smaller crowd than you could ever imagine on Sunday morning. At Easter this year, 
It was me and my family. And who knows what will be next year. But understand this. We can sit here and we can cry and we can pout and say, where are they? As the budgets get smaller and the crowds get smaller, we need to understand how God works. That bigger isn't always better. That majority doesn't always rule. That popular isn't always right. And numbers doesn't always guarantee success. That's not how God works. And this might get worse. It might get lower. But I believe the smaller we get and the weaker we get, the bigger our God will be. And maybe the churches were too big and God said, let me dwindle them down a little bit and then I'll show them what I can really do. Because the mega churches don't get credit for what I'm going to do. So he dwindles the numbers down. And the question is, how many of the churches today are willing to stick it out and see what God does with them? Because there's many that are walking away, just like they walked away from Gideon. Two-thirds walk away. So now, in verse 3, I've got to hurry. I wrote it in my Bible. We are now at 10,000 versus 135,000. 22,000 walk away, and it says in verse 3, leaving 10,000 on Gideon's side. So the odds now have become from go from five to one to thirteen to one. If my math is right on that, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, and I'd be okay with it. But this they were at a disadvantage, and now they're at a major disadvantage. And now they're probably sitting there getting and thinking, okay, I've got ten thousand troops now. I, I think we can still do this. I mean, we needed God at that thirty-two thousand, and we really need God at ten thousand. But I think we can still do this. There's still some optimism in them. And God says in verse four, and the Lord said to Gideon. Lappers 
are the ones that took and stuck their head in the water like a dog would stick their head in the water. I mean, Gracie and I say that we, we, we give our dog water all the time. How does Marla stick her head in the water? Straight down, nose in the water. And she laughs. That's how she does. I can imagine these lappers, these 300 men, are sitting there with their heads in the water, just, just drinking all the water down on their faces in the water, and the, and the other 9,700 are on their knees. And Gideon's sitting there saying, please, give me the ones on their knees. Don't give me those knuckleheads, those lappers who have their heads in the water. We can't win with those. God, please give me the nilts. And God said, you're going to take the lappers. That's who you're going to fight with. I don't think these are special forces. I don't think these are Navy SEALs. I think these are the weakest of the weak. I think these are the dumbest of the dumb. I think these are the smallest of the small. I think God is, is dwindling the army down, not just to the smallest of numbers, but the weakest of people. So that there's no way anybody can, can get credit for this battle. God is taking little Gideon and 300 lappers and going to go to war with them. That sounds like an old band name from the 80s. Gideon and the lappers. <laughs> That's pretty good. Somebody just want to copyright that one. Little Gideon and the lappers. That's who's going to go to battle. I mean, it's, it's, you, you, can't, you can't make these things up. That's who God is going to use. These are the, the knuckleheads. 300 lappers versus 135,000 strong men with camels. The odds now go, what did I say, 5 to 1 to 15 to 1, now 450 to 1. But it's not about the math. These little, little Gideon and the lappers. It's not about the math, it's about the power of God. The Bible always wants God very big and us very small. And that's where he had to get this. It's always about getting us to admit our own inadequacies, our own weaknesses, and our own inability. God is always getting us to the point where we have to rely on. 32,000, we kind of need God. 10,000, we, we, we need God here. Really need Him. 300, we can't even walk without God. We're desperately in need of God. The smaller it gets, the bigger their God gets. The weaker they get, the stronger their God gets. Do you understand that? God loves to use small and God loves to use weak because it makes him look so big and so strong. And that's what he's doing here. At my best, at my best, at my strongest, on my best day, I'm still extremely feeble and weak and small. And God is so big and strong. And we need to see that. There's a huge gap between how little I am and how big our God is. And God is always bringing us to that point so that we don't puff ourselves up and think ourselves bigger than what we are. We are nothing but small, weak, frail humans, creatures. And God is so strong and big. And that's what he's wanting us to get here on my best day. There's still a huge difference between me and God. I think that's where he wants our nation to be. I, I'm not talking politics here tonight. 
that we have heard for years about the greatness of America. Make America great again. Maybe that should be the title of the sermon. Make America weak again. Because when America becomes weak, America turns to God, and America sees how small it is, and how it's just another nation in history that could fall like that without God. We are a nation that thinks we're great when we need to be a nation that thinks God is great. Maybe God is whittling us down as a nation. Maybe God is cutting us down as a nation. Maybe God's cutting us down a notch or two. Remember my dad used to say that to me when I was in high school. I'd have a good game, football, basketball, whatever it was. I'd come home thinking I'm something else. You know, look what I did that. Name and paper. You know. That's you need to cut down a notch or two. And then that head can't fit through the door. You, you need to you need to pop. That right. Pride cometh before the fall. And our nation's had a big head for generations. And God is bringing us down to the point where we say, not we need God. Well, we, we really need God. But we can't make things. God helps us. And that's why God chooses the small and the weak. So once we realize that, we're ready to go. And I don't know how, how much longer, how much lower can we get until we realize we really, really, really need God. How much lower is he going to get us to go? You would think pandemic in March, you would think you know, that, that now it's time for the people of God to start crying out to God. We can't do this. And then April and May and June and July, and, and we're going to keep on going. It's getting worse, and we're still not crying out to God. We're still not at the weak point yet, at the small point yet. But when we get there, and we look up to God and say, we can't do this without you, that's when we're ready to fight. And that's when they're ready to fight. I love that. In this battle, in all battles, we need to see how weak we are, how small we are. Even in salvation, I've got to be hurried. We got to see that we don't bring an ounce to our salvation. We don't give a, a, any bit of glory to ourselves at all. We are so weak and impotent and, and dependent upon God and our salvation that we get no glory out of our salvation at all. In all, all glory and honor goes to God and our salvation. It's all Him. We are small and He is, he is big. We have to get to that point before God does this. We go from the smallness that God wants to the strength that God gives. He brought them down so that he could pick them up. He brought them to their smallest and weakest of points, 300 knuckleheads, lappers, and now he's going to give them strength. Uh, this is a great point. Let's look at it. So he brought them down. He said, oh, here we go. We're ready to go. Verse 8 and verse 9. We see the strength that God gives. And it came to pass the same night. He's got his 300. He's got Gideon. They're ready to go. Gideon, Midian, the Midianites are below him in verse 8 in the valley. Verse 9 came to pass the same night. that the Lord said unto him, All right, get up. Go down under the host, for I have delivered it under your hands. 
Looks like Gideon's just going down. And Gideon's up where he can see them out in the valley. 135,000 with camels. I'm going to keep stressing that. They've got camels. That's a big deal. You'll see it in a minute. He says, I want you to go down there and walk through their tents and their camps in the middle of the night. And he says, and if you're scared, <laughs> look at this. Verse 10, but if you're scared to go down, go with Thurah, thy servant down to the host. If you're scared, take your servant with you. Take somebody with you. And you go walk through the tents. And here's what you're going to get. And thou shalt hear what they say. You'll hear a dream. You're going to walk through the tents while these people are asleep at night. While the army's asleep. 135,000, two men can go walking through that camp meeting. Nobody's going to notice. So there's no uniforms. They're not walking through there with eye on their shirts of Israel. They're, they're, they're not standing out. They're all wearing the same things. So go down to there, walk through the camp, and you're going to hear, while you're walking through the camp, somebody's going to have a dream. And you're going to overhear it. You're going to eavesdrop on what's being said. Watch what he says. Uh, this is, so he takes his lame man, Fubarah, says, Fubarah, let's go. Verse 11. Thou shalt hear what they say, and afterward thy hands shall be, look at that, strengthened to go down and fight the battle. Then when he down with Fubarah, his servant, again, he's scared to death. God says, you're scared? Take Fubarah. He says, okay, I'm scared. Fubarah, let's go. So Fubarah goes. And they go outside the army and they're in the host. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along the valley. And how many are there? They're like grasshoppers for multitude. They're everywhere. They're everywhere our eyes can see. And they're camels. You see that? They're like camels. We're without number as the sand by the seaside for multitude. They go down there. Gideon and Thurah go down in there. Thurah, like Thurah. That's a good name. They go walking down through the camps and they see they're like grasshoppers. They're like the, the sand of the sea. They're everywhere. There's 300 of us and so many of them. And they go walking through. Verse 13. When Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream. There it is. Under his fellow, he heard in a tent somewhere. Two soldiers talking. This is, this is so good. Exactly what God said would happen. Gideon was coming, well, there was a man that told a dream of his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled, I don't know what these guys ate the night before, this is a weird dream. A cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came into a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay along. What a dream. There's like a, a piece of cake. He says, I saw a piece of cake. It came rolling through our encampment and took down all of our tents so that they were flat. A piece of cake. Again, these guys had some bad food the night before. They're dreaming about a cake of barley bread. Verse 14, and his fellow answered and said, I know what it means. <laughs> this, is, this is it. This is nothing else Say the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel, for in his hand have God delivered Midian and all the host. Can you imagine what Gideon's going through there? God said, go down, and I'll strengthen you. 
I'll pick you up. I'll make you confident in what I'm going to do. So Gideon goes down to the servant and he's listening intensely. And he hears this dream about a piece of cake rolling. Knocking down all the kids. And the friend says, Surely that's not Gideon. And God's going to use him to destroy them. And at that moment, I love this. Let me give you a couple of application points for this. First, God controls the minds, the dreams, the mouths of pagans, the enemy. God put that exact dream in that guy's head and made him tell who he told. So that they could, he could let Gideon overhear it. And God is in complete control even of the minds of, of enemies, of the words of enemies. And then God comforts Gideon here. I love that. Gideon has needed comfort over and over and over. Gideon had needed assurance of his assurance. That's how cowardly and small he is. He first had to have Jesus show up with him and have lunch with him. And then God keeps on giving him sign after sign of the fleece. And God keeps saying, yes, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. And here Gideon, fearful, scared. Gideon has that kumrah with him. And he's still scared. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And God is strengthening him and picking him up saying, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. I love that about God. We are our weakest. And God keeps saying, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And in the midst of this, Gideon gets a, exactly what he needs to hear when he needs to hear it. I think this is probably the, the best application of this whole sermon. That God would place somebody in Gideon's life to give him a word that he needed to hear when he needed to hear it so that he could keep on going and doing what God's called him to do. How many times has that ever happened to you? That you're having a tough time, you're struggling, you're scared, you're not courageous at all. I don't think I can make it another day, God. How am I going to get through? I can't do what you call me to do. And in that moment, somebody comes. And this isn't a, a word from the word. This is how God works in providence to bring somebody along your pathway. Who you overhear or who says something to you, or you scroll past it in a post, and it's exactly what you need to hear, when you need to hear it, so that you go from your weakest point to a stronger point. It happens all the time for me. I didn't, it didn't happen to me this week. And it's like God just did, put me in a position to preach this sermon. This week, I, 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 I've been like, I found so hard. We're fighting a, a battle. It's a spiritual battle, and I'm struggling, and I don't know that I can keep doing it, God. How can we do it? I'm so weak. I can't. I can't. I can't. And I pray this. And I know this is probably too much, but I pray, God, give me a word of encouragement. I pray that. I said, God, let it be from your word or from one of your servants. Do you bring somebody along my path? And they send me a text. And they call me. Just out of the blue. Maybe it's a sermon I want to preach. Or maybe it's a devotion I'm going to read. Or a sermon that I hear. But God, I need encouragement. I need strengthening so that I can keep fighting this battle. This is me personally. And I said, God, I'll wait on it. And I'll do what you ask me to do. But I need encouragement and I need strength. 
They thought till yesterday. I've been reading, I've been listening to sermons, I've got to run, I'll put my headphones in, and I'm just waiting for it, waiting for it. But I need it. I need it. And last night, I won't give any details. I sit down at my desk to write out these sermons for today. And it's the same routine every week. Saturday night, I sit down to finish out my final notes. My kids come in, Grace will kiss me and say, Good night, Dad, love you. Steph will say, Good night, love you. All my kids do. Christian comes in, Good night, Dad, love you. He says the same thing every Saturday night. Good night, Dad, love you. Praying for you. I'm okay. He said every Saturday night he does that, praying for you. Then he'll say this. This is not being, 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 being prideful, but he says this. He'll say, You're the best preacher in the world, Dad. So every Saturday night, every Saturday night. The last night, after he said, Dad, I love you. You're the best dad in the world. You're the best preacher in the world. And I'm praying for you. He looked at me and said, Dad, keep working. You're doing a good job. And I looked at him like, what did you just say? Out of the mouths of babes. And it was exactly what I needed to hear when I needed to hear it. And said, Josh, that didn't come from the Bible. Sometimes God speaks to us not through his word in a revelation way, but providentially in his world, God speaks to us. He gives us exactly what we need when we need it. That word of encouragement, that word of strength. And everybody in here knows I'm talking. And Christian doesn't even know. I didn't point out listening to me now. Exactly what I needed to hear when I needed to hear. And this was the strength that got Gideon up and going in the battle. He overheard a dream and said, Gideon's going to win this battle. And watch what happened. Don't you love when God shows up that way? Answers your prayers. And I, I, I did what Gideon did. I'm going to be honest with you. Because I think you should. I, I really, truly think you should. And when God answers your prayer that way, whether it's scrolling, I'm sure you scroll through it and say, that's exactly the post I needed to read. That's a sermon I needed to hear. That's a word I needed today. And when Gideon hears this, verse 15, and it was so when Gideon heard this, <laughs> you think I'm, the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshiped in the enemy camp. I don't know if he sang songs. I don't know if he bowed down. The word means to bow down and put your nose in the dirt. Maybe even just in that moment he said, thanks God. That's what I need. But in that moment, he looked to God and said, I can do this now. And that's what we need to do. As Christian walked away from me last night, and he said something he never says, I stopped and said, thanks God. I can do this now. And now we're ready to go to battle. That's the smallness God wanted and then the strength God gives and now the success God brings will close. Look what changes. 
weak man with food raw goes into the enemy camp scared to death. God gives him the strength, the encouraging word that he gets just from overhearing a dream. He worships and thanks God. And it says that in verse 15, and he returned to the host of Israel. You see that he goes back to his people. And look what he says. He's not a small little tiny man anymore. He comes in like a commander. And he says, Arise. For the Lord hath delivered in your hand the host of Midian. Exactly what he needed when he needed it. And now he goes back and his 300 knuckleheads, the lappers, are all sitting there thinking, Wow, where did this guy come from? He was soft-spoken. He was, he was so scared. He took food rock with him. And now he goes back and says, All right, boys, get up. We're going to war. Where did he get that strength from? It had to be from God. That's not Gideon. And what's what he does? He gives orders. This is, a, again, the third point, the success that God brings. And he divided the 300 men into three companies. He's like, All right, boys, here's the plan. We're going to split you guys up. 100 over here, 100 over here, 100 over here. And I'm going to give you your weapons for war. Here's his weapons. He gave every man a trumpet, an empty pitcher, and a lamp. You think God's going to win this battle? 300 men with a trumpet, a pitcher, and a lamp. And he said unto them, look on me and do what I do. And behold, I'm come outside the camp, it shall be that as I do, you do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then you blow your trumpets. And on every side of the camp say, get this, for God and Gideon. You see that? The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So you scream, for God and Gideon. This is so good. So, what he says. I mean, this is, first of all, good application point, know who you're following. Those 300 knuckleheads, those 300 lappers, saw Gideon and said, this guy has come back from God. He is God's man, and we will follow God's man. They are not strong, they are not mighty, they are extremely weak, and they said, we're going to follow God's man. They knew who they were following. That's a good point for us all. Follow God's man. Whoever God sends, who has God's word, you follow God's man. So they go. That's good leadership there. He's been with God, he's ready to go. So they all go. And it's coordinated action. I give you principle number two. They know who they're fighting. There's no clicks here. There's no solos going off with their trumpet trying to do their own thing. There's no lone wolves. It's divided they fall, but united they stand. If we, and this is good for the church, if we forget who we're fighting, if we forget who the enemy is, then we'll begin fighting each other instead of the enemy that we should be fighting. That's how churches fall. When they begin, they forget who the real enemy is, that it's Satan, and they start fighting each other like they're, they're, they're their own enemies. No, 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 no. They are united. They are coordinated. They know where they're going. They know what they're doing. They're following God's man. All together. So they surround the Midianites. The Midianites have their little camp down there, and Gideon and Fugras have been down there with them. And they've seen the, the encampment. So they got a hundred over here and a hundred over here and a hundred over here. They're surrounding them with their 300 men. And watch what they do. And Gideon and 300 men that were with him came to the outside of the camp and were getting in the middle watch. They came in the middle of the night when they're changing the guard. They newly set the watch. And they blew their trumpets 
and they break their pitchers that had the lights inside of them. And the three companies then blew their trumpets, and they break their pitchers, and they held their lamps in their left hands, and the trumpets in their right hands, and they blow with all, and they all cried, For God and Gideon! For God and Gideon! And then he stood every man in his place around about the camp, and watched what happens. This is, this is how God's going to win. Surrounding the Midianites in the darkness of the night, blowing trumpets. I mean, can you imagine? They're all sound asleep. Everybody in the camp's asleep. The camels are asleep. Big four. Stand up, you wake me up in the middle of the night. It's chaos. Who, what, what, what's wrong? You know, I just don't know what's going on. What's wrong? What's wrong? And I'm running around like crazy. Nothing, you know. That's it. All is sleep. All is calm. Like the night before Christmas. Not a noise in the house. Not a creature is stirring, not even a bird. Everything's silent. And all of a sudden, you got 300 men surrounding you, breaking their lamps when the lights start shining, blowing their trumpets. For God and Gideon! For God and Gideon! And chaos breaks out of camp. All these men wake up, 135,000 men wake up, look around in a panic. Having no idea what's going on, or who's who, are they attacking, or where are they at? Oh, we see lots and for God and Gideon, and you know, when you're screaming, the trumpets are sounding. What's going on? It's chaos. And the camels get woke up. And I googled this this week. It? Strange Google. How big are camels? Fifteen hundred to twenty-two hundred pound animals that all of a sudden jump up, scared to death, and start running around. Destroying everything in their way. These are big, nasty, smelly, spitty animals. And the men wake up and they're going chaos. It's just crazy. They're, they're, they're trying to get their camels in order. They think an army that is huge is coming down on them. And, and watch what happens. They start fighting each other. This is, watch. Verse 21 They stood every man in his place around about the kingdom, and all the hosts ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpets, and the Lord, what's this? The Lord set every man's sword against his own fellow. They started fighting each other. They run, and even draw all the hosts, and the hosts fled. And they go to the mountains and the borders. If you were here with us last week, these the Midianites and the Israelites run into the, into the hills and hide in caves. And now these camels are destroying everything, destroying the camp, and all these men are running to the hills, hiding. God has taken it and completely turned it around. They had run off the Israelites. They destroyed the Israelites' camps. They made them run into the hills. And now God has completely switched it. And they run into the hands of, what's this? Verse 23. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali, out of Asher, out of Manasseh, and pursued the Midianites. They ran right into the 9,700 men that God had sent home. And I think these are the stronger men. The 300 lappers, the knuckleheads, and busted the lights, blew the horns, and said, God and Gideon! Made them all run right into the hands of their strong men in the army. 
Isn't God the plan? I'll finish it out, verse 24 and 25. Again, he sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and take before them the waters of Beth Barah and Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters of the Beth Barah and Jordan. See, they're just they're getting them. They're all spreading out. They're no longer an army that is organized and united. They're all divided now where they're easy to take down. So he says, Go and get them, boys. And they took two princes. They took the two leaders of the army of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeeb. Maybe they're twins. I don't know. Oreb and Zeeb. And they slew, and I, you may not care about this, but I thought it was interesting. They slew Oreb, they killed him upon the rock. The rock where Gideon had launched with Jesus. And taking there where Gideon began. We've gone full circle. Where Gideon had launched with the, the angel of the Lord, Jesus. And then they killed Zeb at the wine press, where Gideon was found by the angel. Very beginning of the story. He brought a full circle. And they won. That's the end of the story. They pursued Gideon, brought herds of the old Reb, Zeab, and Gideon on the other side of Jordan. And understand this, and I'm closing. We've read 25 verses tonight. And I don't think anybody in here, or anybody who's ever read this, can say, Boy, that sure, that Gideon sure was great. Anybody here will say that? Boy, Gideon was a soldier. Can anybody say, boy, those 300 were the strongest, mightiest men? What an army. Or could they say, Gideon did some, and God did some, and Gideon gets a little bit of credit? You read this story, and you're going to say, every single bit of that was God. Every bit of it. It wasn't all Gideon. It wasn't some Gideon. It wasn't some of the Israelites or some of the army. It wasn't those trumpets that they blew or the, 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 the lanterns that they broke open so that they could see the lights. It wasn't for God and Gideon. It wasn't. It, wasn't. it was all God and no Gideon. And that's the point. That God didn't need the biggest. He took the smallest. God didn't need the best. I think he took the worst. God didn't need the most. He took the least. God didn't need the strongest. He took the least. And in this story, the strong were killed and only the weak survived. Because the weak had God on their side. And God did it to like it. So easy that it was like a piece of cake rolling through Gideon's cabin. Right back to that dream. It was like a piece of cake. So we need to see here tonight how great our need is. And it is great. Our, our need is so great in salvation. It's impossibly great need. And that's what it is. Our need isn't partial. Our need isn't a little bit. We don't need God to give us a, a little push to make us be saved. We need God to do it all. That, that's a great need. And we need to see that. Uh, that that's why, uh, you know, 
in, in church sometimes. You, you talk about sin, you talk about salvation, and you keep thinking, the Bible makes me feel so small and so simple and so bad. That's a great place to be. Because when you see how simple you are, you see how gracious God is, and you turn to Him. God is always trying to bring us to a smaller, weaker point so we can see how great He is. So we can see in that point in salvation that our need is impossibly great and our God will meet that need. But I think it even more so for our church tonight in the midst of a pandemic and a panic, we need to see how great our need is right now. That it's getting worse, not better. You keep praying, God, let it get better, let it get better, let it get better. And I'm not talking about just about pandemic, I'm talking about the panic in our nation, the, the protests, the, we were talking before church about how the politicians are just at each other's throat, it's worse than it's ever been, that we've ever seen. It's not getting better. Our incomes are getting less. Our budgets are less. Our crowds in the churches are less. People are losing jobs. Businesses are hurting. Our area here in this part of the country is dying. And everything is getting smaller. And we keep asking, how can we make it with less? And the answer may be God is reducing our resources our dependence upon ourselves so that we'll see just how great our need is. And we'll turn to and see how great our God is. Maybe he's bringing me down a little bit lower. Maybe he's bringing us in the church a little bit lower. Maybe he's bringing our area and our nation just a little bit lower so that we can see just how great our God is. So that maybe we'll be see how strong God is. They've forgotten what God is capable of. And they need to remind us of it. And we've forgotten what our God is capable of. And I think we need to be reminded that God doesn't need us. God doesn't need me. He doesn't need me to be great. He doesn't need me to be mighty. He doesn't need me to be strong. That's what He is. I'm going to say that again. I need reminded of that. God doesn't need me to be strong. God doesn't need me to be mighty. God doesn't need me to be big. That's what he is. God just needs me to remember just how big and strong and mighty he is. And I need to trust him. That's what we need to do. That's what Gideon needed to do. I need to see how big God is. And I need to trust him. Even if I'm scared, over and over and over, I'm going to close with this, over and over and over, getting him scared. I can take you through chapter 6, he was scared. I can take you through chapter 7, he was scared. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to have fear. I'm scared of what's going on in our world. But we can't let our fear stop us from being faithful. Gideon repeatedly, in his fear, trusted God and saddled up anyway. And that's what we need to do. Courage isn't being without fear. Courage is having fear and saddling up anyway. I think it's John Wayne quote. That's where all of us need to be. Yeah, we're scared. But we're going to continue to be faithful to God in the midst 
here um, on the world, seeing how small we are and how big he is, and only the weak will survive. So let's pray. Today. Father, thank you for your word. I hope and pray this word in season for someone out there that maybe they need to hear this tonight. I know I need to preach it. I need to study it. I need to be reminded of how big you are and how small I am. So I thank you that in the middle of Judges, who would have thought that it would be exactly what we needed to hear? Help us to learn that. And it's scary to say, you know, I'm going to pray that you would make America weak again. So that America would see how great God is again. I pray that you would use this word, these words, this passage, to speak to someone's heart. Thank you.